This is Encounters, a dialogue that brings you multifaceted life stories you don't want to miss. Life is kind of like this Chinese idiom called "塞翁失马 Basically, it's like what seems like a bad circumstance can turn out to be a good circumstance, and what、yes. seems like a good thing can turn out to be a bad thing. So、yes. you never know. So I think that you know all of those difficulties of my childhood of trying to figure out how to connect and how to fit in turn out to be an amazing lucky moment because I was always so quiet. I never spoke. All I could do was listen. Actually, communications comes down to listening because communicating effectively comes down to understanding another person. And to understand another person, you need to listen deeply, not just to their words and not just to their body language. A lot of people think listening is all about watching their body language, but true listening is understanding their meaning and their inner needs. Whether we are men or women or other genders, I'm open to. Yeah, you know, let's、mm. just say we're pro everyone. Whoever we are, we have dreams that need to be realized, and we have personhood that needs to be realized. And we do that by making contributions to our world, being active in our society, and caretaking of the people we love, even if they're the people we love most on the planet Earth, is not enough. To help us satisfy our personal dreams. Hello and welcome. I'm Manling in Beijing. Our guest today is Joy Chen. Joy is well known in China for becoming the deputy mayor of Los Angeles at the age of 31, and her book, "Do Not Marry Before Age 30." But one could hardly imagine, although she was born and grew up in the United States, she didn't speak any English before she entered kindergarten. Joy's parents are typical Chinese immigrants in the U.S., who were scared of their daughter being affected by the so-called bad influence from the society. They created a protective bubble for her. Of course, they did what they thought was best, but fell short of giving her what she. Really wanted. They kept the little joy indoors, where she wasn't even allowed to watch television. Joy reflected upon her father's life in the United States as an immigrant. She thought, to a certain degree, her father had failed to adapt into the American society. Something she didn't want to repeat herself. One day, she decided to leave her parents to pursue her own dreams. Our conversation started from how Joy became an independent and confident woman. Can you describe your family education and versus the、uh, school education? Because it's in you. I can see that from the perspective of education, it's kind of east meets the west. Yeah, that's quite rigid. Still, I want to do this game.、Mm-hmm. How much you have taken from the Chinese culture, Chinese ways of education, and how much you benefited from the、uh, greater Westernized sort of education in the society? 
because you, in my eyes, is kind of、um, a very good example to show that Chinese education and culture background, combined with Western sort of、um, liberal-mindedness education, and then here sitting in front of me is a lady who is so confident, eloquent, and independent. But before, when I read through. The articles and、uh, media coverage of you—you you were shy and not so eloquent, right?、Mm-hmm. And even didn't really like yourself.、Mm. So please share with us how you grow from this end to that. Okay,、uh, my parents came to the United States in late 1950s, early 1960s. They were the very first that generation of Chinese who came came to America. Were among the best educated talents from Asia. They were invited in by which President, part of President China? Kenny, Kennedy had a program. My mother is from Ningbo. My father is from Nanchang, and they came to study at America's top graduate schools. My mother went to Cornell. My father at MIT. They both the U.S. schools gave the Chinese students full academic scholarships at the time. Yeah. But you know they both didn't have money, so my father he collected two hundred U.S. dollars from the people in his village. He raised that money, borrowed it, and came with a coat, and went to New York City for the first year. And、um, so he deferred at MIT. I'll be there next year. And for a year, he worked in New York City in a Chinatown in an apart. He lived in one room apartment with six Chinese guys, and he washed dishes for twelve hours a day and studied English for four hours a night. So he could save a little money, pay back his village, and then go on to MIT. So I think that you know that generation. I think that the Chinese values of education and hard work、uh, were very present in my parents. They met in the United States, and they had me. I was born in 1969, and so I grew up in 1970s America at a time when there were not very many Chinese. And to most Americans' eyes, I think that. China was a very far away, very undeveloped, very poor, very strange, and out of the way place. And、um, my family didn't have much money. My parents, all their lives, they worked both in the U.S. government. My father was an engineer for the U.S. Navy. My mother was a lab scientist doing experiments on white lab rats. And、um, so they never ever managed anyone. They were all like, you know, basically that. Generation of Chinese in the United States that my parents came with. They all became scientists and engineers.、Yeah. They all worked as in technical professions in America, and I think they all pretty much became America's best educated, hardest working technical worker bees.、Yes. You know, my mom worked in her laboratory, and at the end of every experiment, they'd have to kill all the rats, and then other people didn't want to kill the rats, so they, they don't the give、jobs. them to my mom. Yes, my yes. mom was a White lab rat killing PhD.、Right. Of course, they didn't have PhDs, so they really pushed against the glass ceiling. What were your memories of bringing up and living under the custodianship of such a couple? Well, I think that you know we were, like many Chinese, you know we were taught, my brother and I, that the key to success in the world in our lives is two things, beginning with H A R. The first one is Harvard. H A R. Yeah, and the second thing is hard work. So, if we're to write it out as a mathematical equation, it would be Harvard plus hard work equals success. So that was really drilled into us.、And、were they ti- like your mom? Was she a tiger mother? 
like we described it today in China well, society. Yeah. We have numerous tiger mothers and wolf daddies out there. Did they fit into these pictures when you were little? Well, I think that, you know, I think Your that memories, the word tiger mother yeah. might mean different things to different people, but I think that they were very strict as far as grades, test scores were how we were measured. School-oriented. And um, you have to learn instruments, yeah, violin and piano, and school. Basically, that was our lives. They were very worried about American culture because there was all these evil influences like rock and roll music and movies. They, they actually kept you away from the influence of American culture. Yeah, so we weren't allowed to have TV at home for most of the time. And um, we weren't allowed to go to the movies or to listen to music of the times. You know, we could only listen to classical music. They really wanted to keep us isolated and protect us from American culture. And so why? they wanted to protect us. They were worried about evil outside influences. But if they didn't approve, you know, the society there, but why did they decide to go and settle down in such a culture? Because they loved us so much and they wanted to give us opportunities to go to it, great it's schools. It's for the living living standards there, great, great schools there. For schools. For schools, for schools there, for, for schools. education. Yeah, for education. And they used their own ways to block you yeah. <laughs> from other so-called evil influences. Yes. But at the same time, if they do that sort of thing, they also block away the good part of um, the education, don't you think so? Yeah, if well, they in their a, mind, educate, the only school was the good part. School was the only good thing in American culture. And they didn't want to see you to merge into the society, you mean? Correct. And then do you find their ways of doing things or bringing you up is a kind of a positive way? You benefited from it? Well, I can say that it made me extraordinarily curious about what was on the other side of the four walls of our house. So I think that, you know, as a child, I always felt like I had my nose pressed up against the window of the outside world, mm -hmm. aching to know what was on the other side. When I started school, I didn't speak any English at all. And so... But how did, how did you listen to the teachers if you didn't speak English at I all? I couldn't understand what was you going on. You were born in the United States and Correct. you didn't speak English? No, because my parents, you know, they went as graduate students. So all of their friends were Chinese. I mean, we didn't socialize with them. Did Americans. you go to kindergarten? Yeah, I did start. So I'm saying when I started nursery school, I didn't speak any. When I, oh, yeah. When your I went English to was picked up by studying in kindergarten, right? Yes. Oh and then, God. but still, when I started, they thought that I was special needs because I couldn't speak English very well. I didn't really understand what was going on. So actually, I was started out being placed in special needs classes, oh. like with, you know, students with Down syndrome. <laughs> And then my English got better so that I was transitioned back to regular classrooms. But it was still very hard to socialize with other kids after school because they might be talking about what was on TV and I didn't have TV. And just English, joking around English is very different from learning, being able to read in the textbooks and to respond to the teachers. So did your parents force you to recite a lot of things like many Chinese parents do? Yeah, well, we didn't really learn that much. That, I think that's if you learn to read Chinese, and we didn't really learn that much so much. But I think that um, when I was growing up, you know, my biggest question and problem in my life was, how do you talk to white people? <laughs> like, I just mm. couldn't socialize, you know, I couldn't connect with other kids. And like, sometimes they would bring peanut butter jelly to lunch, you know, because you bring your own lunch, they bring peanut butter and jelly, and I would bring tsongyou bing. Yeah scallion pancakes and 
you know, people think that my pancakes smell bad, you know, and they say, go back to China or, you know, so there was... Um, Why was you know, that was then? Of- because Tong Yuping is very welcomed and even tasted good to a lot of uh, Western palates now. But yeah. why was then, what made this change? Well, I think it was, well, first of all, children can be cruel to other children. Yes. And, you know, it was just really different. It was an all white school, pretty much all white. So, yeah, when I but was But you still small, have the urge to mingle, right? I you wanted want to, to be, mingle. Yeah, but you but didn't have the ability. There, you know, like a wood board, like I wanted to be able to, you know, the worst part is when kids are bantering, right? Yes, yes. Telling jokes quickly. And I would just stand there like aching to be able to tell a good joke or something. And then like, finally, I would occasionally I would come up with something I could say, but it would be 60 seconds too late, you know, and like, know. The, the moments passed, and I'm like, <laughs> second turn, one, <laughs> you know, like, ah, missed the chance, you know. So that was like, always the feeling. But yeah, that's a very bad feeling. But when, <laughs> when did you start to change? You know, slowly, slowly over time, it things got easier. I remember one time I was like, uh, about 12 or 13. You know, my father worked in a department in the Navy designing naval aircraft carriers. He was an engineer. And he said one night, oh, today is our annual Christmas party of my department. I said, oh, why didn't you go? And he said, because every time I go to these things, I have no idea what to say to the people around me. And I was Same problem. Like, I just, it was a huge shock because I suddenly realized two things. I realized, number one... My father is just like me. He doesn't know how to talk to white people. Hmm. And number two, this problem would forever limit his ability to be a part of American society, which I really wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So it was really that night, I think, that I really said, okay, I need to figure this out. I need to figure out how to talk to white people, you know, and so... Is it Um, against your personality? Because some people love to social, some people do not. And you went out of your way to become social. Is it against your personality? If you inherited some in your blood, your father was like that, right? And then you went out of your way, you do the opposite thing. Yeah, I don't know how much of our personalities are inherited and how much of it is, you know, built up over circumstances. I don't know the answer to that, but I think that... When I was small, I really wanted to connect to other people, but I didn't feel I had the ability to. However, I think that life is kind of like this Chinese idiom called Sai Wang Shima, which is which is like we don't have to get into it here, but basically it's like what seems like a bad circumstance can turn out to be a good circumstance, and what seems like a good thing can turn out to be a bad thing. So you never know. Don't cry too hard about the bad things and don't celebrate, you know, because you never know what it's going to bring you, right? So I think that, you know, all of those difficulties of my childhood of trying to figure out how to connect and how to fit in turn out to be an amazing lucky moment because I was always so quiet. I never spoke. All I could do was listen and watch closely. Do you still have this quiet self now? When you are with yourself or with the family. When I am listening. So I think that one of the key superpowers, maybe the key superpower that I ever developed as a child, which drew many of these lucky moments to me later, 
is the ability to connect to other people, just like that headhunter said. But that ability to connect other people, I think sometimes we think that communication skills are a matter of charisma, being beautiful and talking, being able to speak eloquently. But actually, communications comes down to listening because communicating effectively comes down to understanding another person, right? And to understand another person, you need to listen deeply, not just to their words, and not just to their body language. A lot of people think listening is all about watching their body language. But true listening is understanding their meaning and their inner needs. Because most people don't say what they mean. Yeah. You know, it's like a little kid, a baby. I think, you know, I see instances of every day when my child is little and crying, saying, I want that toy, I want that toy, and having a major temper tantrum. Maybe it's not that they want the toy. Maybe it's because what they need is a nap, right? So people are like that as adults. Mm -hmm. People don't say what they mean. No, so communication. And so I think that being a child who didn't speak, who couldn't communicate, gave me the opportunity to develop my listening skills. And, and that helped me a long way. Can you now claim that you understand the white people better now? Oh, yeah. I mean, if I didn't, then I wouldn't have become deputy mayor. So, yes. you know, at the time, well, I guess one other thing I would say is not only could I not speak English well, I couldn't speak Chinese well. So I didn't really have any mother tongue with which to communicate to other people or to communicate with myself. So I think that that was a really frustrating feeling to not have a mother tongue. Later on, it became English. English is your mother tongue. Very much and so. And Chinese is your second language. Yes, very okay. much so there too. <laughs> and talking about communications, do you communicate well with your children? I think I'm very close to my children and I work very hard on that. But, on but you spend a, a lot mother. of time working and away from them. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'm in China right now. My children are in Los Angeles. So I spend time away from them. But when I'm home, I spend a lot of time with them. And I feel very close yeah. to that. Just now I said, if I ask you to judge from your own education, your growth, how much you contributed or attributed to the Chinese values and Chinese ways of education, and how much is the thing that you benefited from the Western sort of style education? Um, I think that what being Chinese has brought to me is a dedication to education and hard work. I think those are all good things. And also, I think a sense of balance, you know, a feeling like... Well, you know, what I had just said, you know, just being like looking at the long picture and being like, um, just having a sense of balance, I think, in my soul. I actually, I have three balance questions for you. Okay. <laughs> when we were talking about the present to you, right, mm -hmm. who you are, and you publishing books and uh, things, I want to say that how do you balance work and life? I think at the very beginning, when I learned English, my English teacher from America told me that, um, work to live and live to work and ask us to choose. And I think when I, that year I was 16, I chose to work to live. What is your answer? I work to live and I live to work. Both. both. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do you balance? Well, first of all, I think that having working at the intersection of passion and purpose is incredibly important. So that work is rejuvenating to me and work is also a source of rich personal and spiritual growth. So work is actually a way of self-invention and self-actualization. And then logistically, how I balance work and family has a lot to do with two 
very, very important things, which I think are crucial to every woman if she ever wants to have balance and work and family in the future. If she wants to be successful in her career and successful as a mother, she needs to do two things. Number one, she must marry Mr. Right. And by that, I mean somebody who you deeply love, who deeply loves you, who you're sharing the same values, so you guys are walking the same path in life, and who fully supports you Mm -hmm. in realizing your dreams. And by that, I mean not just someone who says, I believe in gender equality, but somebody who is personally committed through actions to be fully supportive of you when he needs to be to support you in your career. So Dave, actually, your husband. Dave. Fully supports you, right? Fully supports me. But what if about you don't do that, vice versa? Do you fully, I fully su- support him in pursuing his dreams? And that's what I mean by if you marry Mr. Wrong, it's possible you will never achieve balance. And that's why I mean marriage, if you choose to get married, it is a very serious decision that carries a great deal of risks <laughs> that sometimes we just think, oh, I'm so in love. He just got me big, huge flowers. He gave me a giant diamond ring. I better just marry him. That's not, it's not, that's all about not romance. what it's all about. Yeah. yeah. So number one, how do I balance that? Number one, I married Mr. Right. <laughs> number two, Before I had kids, I lined up the help that I need to have kids. So we have a nanny who stays with us and has stayed with us since before my first girl was born. That's something I could never have afforded in my 20s or even through my 30s. So it's not cheap, but I am grateful that I prepared myself emotionally, spiritually, professionally, and financially. So it's okay. To have the help. So it's okay not to be able to cook. I can cook scrambled eggs. I know. Um, I can make ice cream with my fancy ice cream making machine that my friend gave me, and that's about it. I saw in one of the promotional video that you cooked some Tang Yuan, right? <laughs> oh, I tried to cook Tang Yuan. That was a total disaster. But it's okay because you can hire other people to do these chores for you, right? Yeah. When you are financially ready. Or there's always takeout restaurants. Yeah, indeed. And but delivery. They cook delivery. better than you. Dave likes to work the barbecue. He doesn't really cook other than barbecue. The Western guy's sort of a hobby, right? The second balance actually is about your past education and growth. I actually wanted to say that how do your family, your parents, and yourself balance between Western ways of education and Chinese ways of education? In terms of how I raise my children? Yeah, indeed. And how much you inherited, how much credit you give to your parents' education on you. And you're going to pass on to your own children. Well, I'm grateful that my parents are still both alive, and they actually live quite close to me. They live about 20, 30 minutes away from me. My father's living in a nursing home. He's not well. He had a stroke, and sometimes he remembers us, and sometimes he doesn't, so he has severe dementia, and he needs 24-hour care. My mother lives independently in her home about 10 minutes away from him. She tried to take care of him for many years, but you know, mm-hmm. she was getting high blood pressure and she just couldn't manage it anymore. So we recently put him into this nursing home. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that they're nearby and my kids get to interact with them. We go and visit them. And it's amazing to me how my girls, they're now age nine and eight, can interact with my father even though he can't speak and sometimes doesn't remember. You know, we were just there two weeks ago, just before I came to China, and um, the nurse said to us that he loves to clench his fists. And so physical therapy, they keep on trying to open his hand. So my daughter had a ball in her pocket, and she said, Grandpa, hold this. She put the ball in his hand. 
And he opened his hand to hold the ball. And she said, open and close. And I was just shocked because I thought, wow, he doesn't even, you know, many of us adults, when we're with these old people with dementia, sometimes we feel awkward, like, what should I say? Can he hear me? And it's very awkward. And so for my children Mm -hmm. to be so natural, and they're singing with him and they're, you know, they're just seeing his abilities and his disabilities and figuring out a way. You know, and I think that's The grandchildren um, that's really make amazing. Ma- play magic on yeah. their parents. Recently, I saw a movie. It's called A Long... I can tell that you got very emotional. Mm. <laughs> a movie very similar. I can recommend to you and maybe our listeners uh, yeah. in the future. It's called A Long Goodbye. It's oh. about... Uh, the school principal, a gentleman, got dementia, and how the two daughters and the wife cope with it. And it's oh, wow. a very powerful movie. Great. So you are telling me that the family tie is still very yeah. close. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. this is something that we Chinese women would pass on to our children. Yeah. And the hardworking, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And what else that you think that, that's very Chinese, and we should not be losing. Well, I said, you know, the focus on education, the valuing of education and hard work. But I think that there's also different things that we're looking to introduce, my husband and I, as parents to our children. I think that, first of all, starting from when they were very young, we really gave them a lot of room to play. You know, we don't pack up their schedule with violin lessons and piano lessons and, you know, all the different tennis and everything. You know, we'll introduce them to a few things and follow what they like. I think that my girls seem to gravitate away. You know, they're not so much into the piano and violin, but they really love art. So now giving them a couple of art lessons a week. But mostly they have a lot of downtime. And since there are two of them and they're only 18 months apart, they just play from morning until night. We, I only let them have screen time on the weekends, you know, one hour each day. So during the week, sometimes they'll come over and say, Mom, I'm bored. Can I watch TV? No. And then, you know, there's a little grumbling for 30 seconds, but then they're just playing. So the same, and like, uh, no TV for you when you were little and then no TV for your children. <laughs> <laughs> for different reasons, maybe. Yeah, different I know, reasons I know. Because um, this gives them a chance You're like to a more sort of give more liberty and sort of fun and playing to your time for I your children. That, I think that, you know, play Do you worry? Do you, like, uh, here in China, many young moms worry that, if I don't sign my kids up for all these instrumental sort of thing and courses, or yeah. then my kid will be uh, losing out. You yeah. know? Do you have similar worries? Not at all. So there's a lot of research that shows that play is what young children need. Because play, as a CEO headhunter, I know that we need principally people who are creative and empathetic. They can create new things and they can work in teams. And those are precisely the two skills that play teaches you. You know, it's funny. I buy the kids different toys, but really they're just playing with each other and they can play with anything. You know, they'll take a spoon and then it turns into a microphone and then they're singing and they're making up a song. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. anything. They don't need huge, sophisticated toys. They need each other. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we also arrange play dates with other kids at their school. But playing is what teaches, is how they gain the skills and they explore. You know, they go outside and, oh my gosh, I just found an insect. You know, come in and find their sister and then run outside and go look at it. But do you worry how they explore? I understand. Do you worry that if they play too much, they won't be hardworking as you were? And then you lose the Chinese uh, competitiveness. 
Yeah, I think that that's. um, I think that how do you balance? That's another balance. What you asked is really a central question. But what I think it's funny. When I was small, I would sit down and do my homework every day, and they as soon as I get home from school, and they're doing that now. They don't have as much homework as I did before because they're going to like some very progressive schools that focus very much on social and emotional learning. But these schools will ramp up. And I feel like when it comes, they're young now, they're eight and nine, which I know in Chinese society, eight and nine-year-olds work very, very hard. Too much. They don't work nearly as hard as kids in China, not even close. So they have like three hours every day. But as a headhunter, your kids are going to join Chinese kids to compete for positions in the world. Yeah. Are you confident about your kids' competitiveness? I think because I was a CEO headhunter and see what it really takes to succeed in the world, I think my kids will be very well prepared. So you are actually talking about a permanent, forever, perpetual growth, right? Sustainable growth. Yeah, I'm turning 50 in July. I know. And then let's talk about another balance. How are you going to balance the continuing pursuit of your dream and the reality of the world? Because... Those values, for example, women should be free and independent and happy, right? That's what you preach, I call it, or promote. But I want to ask the question, what about responsibility and support? Because when you are pursuing your own dream, you may be doing something at the cost of others. How do you balance responsibility to the family, social responsibility, and other? Well, I think that on the social responsibility, if you truly are pursuing passion with purpose then you all of it is social responsibility because purpose means that you're serving the world. So what I'm doing right now is serving the world, but doing in a way that is really fun to me and self-actualizing for me. So if you are doing things right, which means working at passion and purpose or striving to work at passion and purpose, you indeed are serving the world. And you're a dreamer. What is your next dream? Well, my mission is to help 100 million Chinese women Sees, realize the full potential of their lives. 100 million. Where That's did you get big. this number? So, uh, it was kind of a back of the napkin calculation that my team and I did for women ages 20 to 40 in China in urbanized areas. That's very scientific. It's right? not that scientific. It's <laughs> sort of like that guy yeah. about that. And a, yeah. the tough, and a nice round number. And the toughest, to is the, question, toughest is the question coming. We all know that fairy tales would say, hey, the two got married and it's happily ever after. Do you think you can guarantee that happily ever after ending of your love story? Our cross-culture marriages have a lot of problems, I know, because conflicts in perceptions, values, everything, when the East meets the West. Have you had any struggles between you and Dave? Like, you are a good listener, as mm-hmm. I said. Throughout the conversation and the interview, I have already known you are ready to listen to. Before you listen to each other, and understand each other, there will be things that you found in him or he in you that conflicting. And how do you solve the conflicts and the clashes, I call it, in thoughts Mm. and values? Well, I heard somewhere once that criticism is just a lazy way of asking for something. But what is the not lazy way? Well, I think that first of all, I really love Dave and Dave really loves me. And we're committed to being together forever. And I think that that creates a space where I'm on his team, I support him, and he's on my team. So there's that basic assumption. You know, sometimes 
when people fight, it's because they say, oh, I'm on this side and you're on the other side. You um, confront. I want to right. win. Mm -hmm. You know, I always was someone who liked to win, and I like to win arguments. So I guess early on, one of the things I realized is that winning an argument, there's no point in winning an argument in a marriage because you're on the same team. Okay. You know, so, so winning, it doesn't really matter to, like, I love being right. And then, you know, and then I want him to know that I was right about that thing we argued about yesterday. But how did you overcome this? It doesn't really this? matter. Yeah, how did you overcome this? When did you realize that you... I think it was kind you, of real. This, I think I just kind of, you know, realized I was being pretty stupid. And I think that, you know, it's like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, we're on the same team. We're here to achieve certain things, you know. It's like... Marriage is totally different from dating, right? Dating is all about romance and whatever and having fun, but marriage is more like a small business. It's a cooperative. Yeah, it's like you are here to <laughs> make your small business, business run, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. You have to figure out how to make money, mm -hmm. how you're going to spend money, how, to how educate you're going to help these kids, yeah. you know, grow up and be responsible members of society. So what is useful to this company and what is not useful to the company? Internal conflict, you know, there's external challenges we have in the world, how to make money, how to protect our kids, how to help guide them. Those are the external challenges we should be but focused on, not fighting. I know. Seems right. to me that if we are going to keep love fresh forever, this is a good thing, sense and sensibilities. But I heard just now what you said, too much senses and where is the sensibility thing? Sense means rationality. Yeah. Sensibility is the romantic part. Yeah. It's the following heart part. So afterwards, I mean, when we fall in love, it's all sensibility, right? And mm. then it comes to senses when we get married. But how to balance and keep your love fresh? Well, you know, Dave and I really talk every day. Like even when I'm in China, we talk every day, sometimes twice a day. We we're together a lot when we're back home. We actually both work in the same floor. We rent offices from the same. He's you know, also the same in uh, real estate. Yeah, field. he does real estate, and I write and produce my China stuff when I'm in America. And so we often carpool to work together. We work out together at the gym in the morning. We're together a lot, and we go out on dates. You know, like once a week or once every leave two weeks. Leave children behind? Yeah, we leave the children behind. We go out to dinner. We mm -hmm. go to the movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have fun together. Yeah, that's He's very still important. my best friend, you know, and I'm really grateful to have him in my life. And it's a very nice feeling to have someone always on your team. Have someone always on your team yeah. is a very good advice for people to get marriages uh, run. It doesn't have well. to be to someone you're married with. But applies to all relationships, yeah. right? Yeah. Love is really important. Love is very important in our lives. You know, there are love and marriage don't always go together, mm -hmm. right? There are people who are in love and don't get married. There are certainly a lot of marriages who don't have any love anymore. In brief, how people benefit in their awareness, like uh, women, you know, about values in marriage and education. What differences have you noticed because of the technology, because of the more sort of overlapping with the rest of the world and the, the society itself changed? Well, I think more and more women have gotten more and more education. You know, girls are better students than boys now in school. So I think that it's natural that women, having worked so hard to get all that education, want to get out and do something and have great careers and not just stay in the home. But I think progress doesn't happen overnight. I think that it does go up and down. If you look at surveys of people who say, who agree with the statement, women should be in the house and men should be in the workplace, you still have 
over half of Chinese society agree with that statement. When we talk about so, success, shall we separate men and women? Well, I think that whether we are men or women or other genders, I'm open to. Yeah, you know, let's know. just say we're pro everyone. Whoever we are, we have dreams that need to be realized, and we have personhood that needs to be realized. And we do that by making contributions to our world, being active in our society, and caretaking of the people we love, even if they're the people we love most in the planet Earth, is not enough to help us satisfy our personal dreams. Sai Wang Shi Ma means a blessing in disguise. Joy used this Chinese idiom to give credit to her parents for their role in her growth, because she was unable to mingle and socialize early on in life. She became a good listener, who can understand not only what a person means but also what their inner needs are. And this, in turn, helped her better connect with people and the world, making her successful in both career and life. Inside the new bubble Joy made for herself are passion and purpose, as well as love and protection for her family. She has worked to become a confident, independent, and happy woman. Joy says her passion is to fulfill her own personal need to seek interesting new challenges. And her purpose is to serve the world. I'm Manling. Thank you for listening. <laughs>